Are you looking for a resource to discuss all topics air conditioning? Well, you're in the right space. Join the Rawson boys as they discuss the hot topics and the cold hard facts. This is the Air Conditioning Podcast. G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Air Conditioning Podcast where we discuss all things air conditioning, the hot topics and the cold hard facts. And it's been a cold, dark, wintry morning to start. Yeah, it's very cold and, and chilly. And why is it so early, Brad? Well, we've got some special guests on the show today and we're very excited. We are very excited. So, All the way from the US of A. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. So, so uh, we had to get out of bed early. Yes. Uh, so well, we're starting the day with our coffees. They're probably winding up the day with exactly. a glass of wine. So that's, uh, yeah. Um, so look, um, we haven't really got much of a COVID update because we've done two consecutive um, uh, podcasts this week. So there's not a lot to, to talk about there. Only the fact that uh, Victoria... Uh, Seems uh, to be heading, getting another second wave through. Yeah, 720. Victoria, Sydney, yeah. um, starting. Yeah. Maybe Queensland. Yeah. But, uh, but certainly not a patch on, uh, on what's happening in the US. No, um, all right, so uh, should we jump into this, Brad? Yeah. All right, so uh, guys, um, on the show today, we are extremely fortunate to have um, uh, Encon uh, on, um, and they've been serving uh, New Jersey since 1968, Brad, yeah. if you don't mind. Uh, they're an award-winning second-generation family business built on a legacy of trust, client care, uh, collaboration, safety, and industry leadership. Uh, and that's just in the first 50 years. Yeah. Celebrating 50 years. Uh, they service um, industrial and commercial buildings. Their core mission and uh, guiding principles is to create systems that help buildings run more efficiently and more comfortably. Right? Mm-hmm. So, without further ado, we would like to bring onto the show David and Marty Indersky. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're very, very grateful for you giving up your time this evening to, to, to join us here on the show. So, uh, uh, and look, in terms of scale, you guys have got a huge and very, very successful business. Um, so I'd, I'd throw it to you guys, and if you can just start off by telling our listeners a bit about uh, what you, you've done to date and where you're at. David, you want to start that off? No, I'll let you start with the history of it, and then I'll take over from there. All right, well, I started this business uh, by myself in, uh, in 1968, and my, uh, I had gotten out of the Army a few years before that and uh, had an engineering background, and uh, before I went in, I was in Army aviation, but before I went in, I, uh, I had done some engineering work, and the more I did it, the more I hated it. And after two years in the service, playing around with airplanes, I said, I like to use that background, but I can't sit behind a desk all day and just crunch numbers. So I kind of think about it. And in the two years, I I researched as best I could. And I said, HVAC sounds great. It's technical. You don't sit in one place very long. And I was right about that. And uh, I started looking for a job in an HVAC company. Uh, I worked for a sales rep uh, uh, selling air filters and, uh, and cooling towers and registers, grills, and diffusers. I kind of got some background in that. And then decided co- contracting would be the best place to go. So I got a job with a mechanical contractor. And after working there for three years, I decided um, 
I thought I knew more than they knew. And I said, I, it's time for me to just go out on my own, start my own business. So uh, um, David wasn't even born yet. Uh, and we started up in New Jersey and with very little capital, we, was, we stayed strictly residential for a number of years. But that was the basis of how we got started. And, what's, and what was the next step after that? You said that you didn't have much capital to, to get you going. How did, how did things initiate there? What was the thoughts process behind that? Yeah, we, we got a few jobs. And um, as we got more jobs, uh, the business grew. But it grew basically based on, on my own personal needs. Uh, I couldn't answer the phones and be in the office. And, and, and so I hired a lady as a bookkeeper secretary, and she helped on that end. Then I realized that wasn't enough. So I got a sheet metal foreman. I realized that wasn't enough, and I got somebody to help me with estimating. And it just grew that way. There's very little planning. It was just, I need help. I yeah. need help. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way it kind of grew. Wow. And, and just to give our listeners a, a scale of... Um, where things are at today, fast forwarding. Um, just tell us uh, how many employees you have working for you. Right now, so the, David. The, this week we just hired our latest uh, team member and that was number 115. Wow. So quite a bit. That's amazing. Very much so. And has that been a, um, is that scaled up sort of progressively over time or has it been, you seen a surge in, in the need to employ more people? No, I would say it's been a pretty organic growth. Um, mm -hmm. Until recently, where we acquired another outfit, you know, we had that that acquisition brought about our headcount up by about twenty. But prior to that, you know, it's two, three people a year trying to always find the right people, and you know, in our in our business, like many, it's all about finding the right good people. Yeah. And do you do the uh, your employees stay with you for a long period of time generally? You know, they do. I've been very fortunate. I've been with the business now full-time 25 years. And um, I'm not one of the long-time people there. We've had two people with us over 40 years, many oh, in their wow. 30s. Uh, we used to be able to, until recently, say that our average longevity was well over 20 years. And the only problem that it's come down is because we've had so many new hires. Okay. So as an average, it's come down, but we've yeah. got a lot of people. And, you know, I give the credit, you know, Again, I'm 25 years, but there are guys 30. We have two guys retiring in the next two, three weeks. And wow. they're both, you know, great long-term successful people. And that culture started long before I was here. Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. Cole. Sorry, money. There's several people retired just about it when David, well, not when David was coming here, but people who didn't even work with David who got here and were a little older than I was at the time and have retired since and still remain uh, uh, friends and come to many of the events we have. You're obviously doing some few things right. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of, um, I mean, the culture is obviously very important in the business to, to maintain good people. How do you guys go about um, creating that uh, morale? So we focus on it very heavily. Um, you know, we've always been, you know, from the earlier days when we were a lot smaller, always a fan, and even to today, a very family-oriented organization. Mm. Um, all the team members have both my father's and I cell phone numbers and we encourage it if anyone you know the, the traditional proverbial open door we really live by those words mm. um, the hardest challenge we're having right now is as we've got new team members in the, in the world of COVID and social distancing is really integrating the, the new people into our culture mm -hmm. um, everyone else you know they come in you know in order to work for the company you've got to spend a day or two with the team 
where you're vetted and yeah. you've got to have the right skill sets, but you also have the right, have the right demeanor, you know, whether you're, you're in the field or the office to make sure you fit in. And we take the, we take our hiring process very seriously mm-hmm. and it's allowed us in the last bunch of years to really bring on some great new talent. Yeah. A comment on the vetting process is the rule is simple. If a guy goes out in a truck with one of our good technicians and the techs don't like them, regardless of what David and I say, they don't get hired. The techs make decisions and they become our best, uh, our, our best weeding process, if you will. Not yeah. David, not I, who would sit and listen to somebody's story and maybe mm-hmm. have an issue with it. But these guys say, we don't want you here. They can't stay. So not, not only do they have ultimate veto power, we have a referral program where, where we're always looking to attract and, and retain, you know, top talent and we pay for that. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd much rather pay our team to bring in someone they know firsthand than work with, you know, third party um, ventures on not knowing who you're getting. Yeah. It sounds to me like um, the hiring and firing process in the U S is a lot more straight forward, I suppose, if you, it's, yeah, it tends yeah. to be a lot more complicated here in Australia in the sense that to get rid of someone, if, you, if they're not, you know, performing or what have you, it's a, it's a long drawn out process where you have to give them three written warnings and opportunities to redeem and all those sorts of things. What's the, what's the case over there um, in terms of uh, <laughs> asking someone to leave? I can tell you the joke around our company is it takes a lot to really be fired. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, we give people the benefit of the doubt, maybe more than we should. But you know, there are times that, you know, our culture says if you're if you're in a bad spot in life, maybe we should help work, you know, help you work through that before we make that decision. Yeah. But as we as we've grown, we do have some of the HR processes that we've had to implement, not because right. of want, but because of necessity. Um, but you know, we we try to train people as, as they go. You know, we've yeah. had a lot of people that have not succeeded in certain roles. And it wasn't because they didn't try. It's because they didn't, you know, have the right skill sets for that. Mm-hmm. Just a few, I'll give you a quick example. A few minutes ago, got an email from a facility director at a large hospital where our team did a tremendous job. And the person that did that worked for us a bunch of years ago, left because he was in the wrong seat, came back. And he is thriving in his new role. And we get great compliments about him all the time. Yeah, brilliant. So yeah, is, yeah, go it sounds like uh, you have, uh, uh, where you are, a lot more difficulty getting rid of an employee than we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you have to be a little careful with age discrimination, that type of thing. Of but basically, uh, but basically <clears throat> somebody's not doing the job, you don't have to give them three warnings. You can bring them in and say, hey, it's just not working out. And, yeah. 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 And we don't do that lightly, as David said. And we also will uh, very often give somebody some severance pay even though they may not be entitled to it, just to uh, help yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So it is, um, do you have a, um, an emphasis on, on training your staff um, in, in, all the, in the different roles? Do you do a lot of training? We do. One of our core values is training, and we spend a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of resources on it, both with in-house training and factory. You know, we have guys you know, prior to COVID, we have guys flying all over North America for factory training. Yeah. Um, and we, ironically, March 14th, we opened up our brand new training training center inside our building, and March 16th we shut down the building. So we've not yeah. been able to use it. 
but once a month we have the trip we have the service techs in we have the young guys train the you know the older guys train the younger younger techs um we you know our software we have regular training classes with them so we invest heavily on it yeah. Yeah. would you prefer to have people that have limited experience as opposed to uh in terms of the training sites so they can train them how you want them to to be developed or it's a fair question we i think about it two ways number one we love the we love the young hard-working person that wants to be trained yeah because um, retraining bad habits is very very difficult mm -hmm. but sometimes having someone that's been in other environments brings them in here and they're amazed on how they're treated so why, when we retrain them and we educate them on our way, they're great advocates for saying, with, with people that are here for a long time, longevity has its own negative side of it as well because sometimes they forget how good we treat them. Yeah. So they get to come in here and say, you know what? My old employer, my previous life, we never got any of this. Yeah. So we look for a healthy mix of both right now. Mm -hmm. I'll say and something on that if you bring in somebody from another company who's got good experience mm -hmm. um it's kind of like uh um they can bring us knowledge on how other companies do things that we would never get if we didn't bring them in that's wrong so yeah. i'll sit down with somebody who's worked for 20 years at a competitor and i'll watch the way they do something and i'll say hey what a great idea that is mm -hmm. so as your company grows and if you grow with some good experience to other people your company can can just benefit from their knowledge. Yeah, for sure. And, and when, I'd imagine that with a, a, a company like the scale of yours um, and dealing with that many employees, um, I, I'd imagine that systems would be an important, by important part. They um, do. And, and, you know, when I came on board full time, we were doing a lot, a lot of things, you know, relatively well. And in, at five or $6 million, it was easy to keep it all in your head. <clears throat> But as we grew through the plateaus of 12 and 15 and so forth, it was not quite so simple anymore. Yeah. And everything that we didn't have a process or procedure for bit us in the behind. And we had some hard lessons and it was okay, we need to do a process for this or a process for that. And every time, you know, now it, the volume we're at, if we don't have a process, it is incredibly important that we develop something. And even in the world of virtual, we didn't know virtual before all this. Yeah. So what's been working and what hasn't, we went virtual like everybody else overnight. Yeah. And we, we've had to reinforce our processes more now than ever. Yeah. A, a quick story on that is, I guess it was three years ago, or maybe four, or maybe two, I don't remember. David came in and told me what he was intent to spend on new systems and new computer systems. I heard the number, I cringed, I bit my tongue, <laughs> and said, David, <laughs> whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, the reality is, uh, David just mentioned we did uh, we did buy an existing uh, company, and uh, through that we've grown into the electrical field. But I don't think we could have done it if we didn't have the systems in place to control what was going on. Yeah, yeah. So and, are, and, and with that, you know, even on the virtual side, you know, the guys are all paperless; they all get everything real time, uptime on their tablets. Yeah. And if we had to be doing what we're doing in the environment we're in, we never would have succeeded. Mm -hmm. Do you guys use a um, particular CRM? We do. We, we use an industry-specific software package, uh, Databasics. And, you know, on the commercial side, because we're not, 
we're con you know consumer we're, we're business to business on it so we don't pick up checks um our guys are you know dealing with property managers facility managers a lot of times all off-site so virtual signatures virtual pictures it's all become a way of it now when we bring new people on and we onboard that's just the way we do it mm -hmm. timesheets are all all automatic you know and, and the job cost systems are all real time you know to the minute costed yeah and that's that's uh, that's important um so um going back to before we hit record we're talking uh, and comparing notes about the COVID scenario um and you the us is obviously in a, a lot more uh, worse circumstance than what we are presently um and we're sympathetic toward that i just was interested to know how that has affected you guys, and, and you mentioned the the, the, the starting up of the um, training facility and everything shut down. How has it impacted your business? Um, I'll start with that, and then I'll let my father finish it. Sure. So we were, you know, New Jersey was kind of a little bit behind the curve in information and things that were coming out there, and we had attended an event the Thursday before, and it was a you know a nationally renowned speaker. And I got—I was the organizer of the event. I got a lot of negative press about having the event based on everything going on in the globe. And somewhere between that Thursday night and Sunday when the world shut down, we pulled all our trucks, we pulled everyone out of harm's way, but our governor decided that construction was deemed essential. So from day one, we were always expected to work and we were really adamantly against it for the, we couldn't get any PPE. Obviously we had no understandings, yeah. there was no testing going back months ago and we stopped for about two weeks and finally gc said look the world's going you may not agree or disagree but or like it but you've got to be here mm -hmm. so yeah. we had to retool and re you know get everyone back to work in a safe environment as we could and is a virtual and you know the office shut down immediately but the field guys were you know going to work you know, in that point, we couldn't get masks. There were no there were no N95s available. Everything was, and right, rightfully so. But our, the governor continued to say that we were essential. So we figured it out every day and made sure our teams were safe. We worked very hard with suppliers and like everyone else to get the safety equipment um, to make sure everyone was safe. And we, you know, our VPN was not up to speed for what we needed. So we had to work with our IT people, our internet providers to double and triple bandwidths. Everyone was coming in at night, grabbing computers, monitors, and you know, setting everything up at home literally overnight so we could work. It's crazy, isn't it? And so you're all back, back, at, uh, back at base camp now? So we're currently, we're, we're at full strength. And like I say, we went from zero to 70% pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, really everyone that, you know, that everyone's back. And we're struggling on the on the flip side now with the office because we were pretty much back and you know we're doing the masks and the social distancing and we had a lot of cubicles built that we had recently renovated for and we've had to put you know move, shuffle everyone around so we have the social distancing we need. Um, but now we're rethinking, saying, hey, should we not allow the two people that do the same roles in the office at the same time? Because mm -hmm. if you know, thinking through if we've got five project managers of all five get yeah, sick, yeah. that's a major problem. Yeah. So we're now now looking at a rotation from dispatchers to billing people to payroll people saying, some of you just can't be in there all the time anymore. Yeah. 
Mm. And, and since COVID, we've all sort of become more accustomed to having, you know, video conferences like this. And just in, have you seen that side of it has increased for you for business as well? We have standing calls two, three times a day with the different teams. Uh, we're using, you know, whatever platform we're using. But they're, they're vital to how we're going to succeed. Yeah. Um, you know, we, for example, we do a 9 a.m. estimating call where every estimator is on it. Someone posts on the screen everything they're working on. If we've got to pull up a drawing, you could be anywhere now on the globe. Yeah. And you can see, see whoever's screen it is. Mm -hmm. And we can look through drawings. It's not the same. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think we still have a lot of old school people here that still like to turn paper. Yeah. I'm one of them. I can't estimate on a screen. Mm. Um, but we're, again, we're making the best of it with what That's we've right. got to do. It is what it is. And do you think that, um, you know, looking further ahead when COVID starts to settle down a bit more in the US and things start to become a little bit more normal again, do you think moving forward that... Uh, the business has, will change in terms of what's happening? I'm going to give you my personal feeling on that. Yeah. And I hope I'm wrong. And I don't know. I'm not any smarter than anybody else out there. But my feeling is right. We are very busy now because in the construction business, you're working at something that, that started a year and a half or two or three years ago. By the time somebody gets an idea to build the building, gets the financing, gets the land, it's the architect, it's the engineer. There's a big lag between uh, uh, that and the time we go in there with ductwork. Yeah. Um, my guess is right now, and I've been speaking with a few architects and engineers, and they are seeing things start to slow down. My guess is the impact on this will be to us in six months to a year. And yeah. to uh, get around that, we are... Um, we're just learning a whole bunch about all the devices out there to keep air clean and to uh, um, debug air, if you will. Yeah. And, germs and, and, and I, I will tell you, I think one of the strengths, and I, I you know, for years it's, it's a challenge, is the diversity of our organization. We deal with a lot of market sectors. Yeah. And, you know, in New Jersey, senior living is a big thing. The medical is a big component. Um, as is life sciences. We had a call today with an international GC talking about how their life sciences and, and the pharmaceutical world of Jersey is getting ready to gear up again. Um, so we're diverse. We do a lot in the automation. And, you know, one of the things that we do with our team is we cross train them. So tomorrow, you know, New Jersey's obviously been rather hot the last few weeks. So Saturday we're changing a bunch of compressors. If we've got to get cheap metal guys that are good mechanics or second guys to change compressors, these guys want to work. Yeah. Um, guys and gal, and you know, it's a matter of okay. We don't care who it is. We just need able, skilled mechanics to go do the job. Yeah. And can, can so you, diversification so. is a, is a big part of who we are. Yeah. 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 Um, just if we can drill down a bit further on exactly what services you guys do, because it's actually quite a vast uh, spectrum of services <laughs> you, you guys do. So can you sort of um, for our listeners just tell us a bit about that? So under our roof, we really self-perform all trades. We do maintenance and repair. We, we have a, about a 25 truck service division that just does brake fix work. We, we do building automation. Uh, we do traditional mechanical work, duct work, fabrication, pipe, weld. And we now offer full service on the electrical side of the house. And then to tie it all together, we'll do design build. 
value engineering. We have PEs on staff and we could look at a project if it's over budget or if a project, you know, just needs some other ways to do it. We could take it from conception all the way out. Mm -hmm. So we really look to own it. We really like to be single source on everything we touch. So, so do you actually have a residential and a commercial, a large commercial uh, uh, departments? We currently do not do residential. We've had growth in so many areas, have not had the opportunity or the, the, the time bandwidth to do it yet. Um, we've had the conversation, if, if building offices don't reopen, do we need to start taking care of, taking care of people's quote unquote home offices, which mm -hmm. is obviously their house. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talked internally, if we were to tell all of our customers that we could take care of them at home, we could probably have, you know, because we have a good trusted relationship with our partners. Yeah. And how quickly could we could we really be in that market? But as everyone knows, it's a diff it's different tools, different skills. Um, we need to do if we're going to enter that, we need to do it prepared the right way. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking with um, David Murray Desky from um, uh, from Encon, uh, based in New Jersey, and uh, we've just finished off by starting to talk about um, uh, some of the services these guys uh, offer and provide, and it's uh, quite extensive. Um, can you tell us um, uh, about any sort of benchmark or landmark achievements that uh, Encon, Encon has celebrated over the years? Start with you, I'll let my father. I'll let, yeah, I'll let my father go first, and then I'll fill in after that. I'll start off with one that I kind of run into every day, and that is, um, I guess, my first commercial job was in 1970, which was a small convenience type of store. I don't know. You guys have 7-Elevens at your way? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, it was a 7-Eleven type store, and I was so excited to get one commercial job, and it was maybe a three thousand. 2,500 square foot store. And I happen to pass it every day on my way home now. And it just yeah. um, brings me back to reality every time I pass it. It's a kind of remember way back when. So that's sort of <laughs> my monument. That's From there, cool. in, David has got many, many more, a whole lot bigger. So I'll let him pick yeah. it up. Brilliant. And what about you, David? What? You know, I look back for, through our portfolio and things that we've accomplished and things that quite candidly from the beginning, I don't know how or why, we were ever qualified to do what we did, but we did some pretty unique things. But one of, I think one of our most unique jobs is we, we were privileged to do the air conditioning at the actual house that Thomas Edison grew up in. So wow. do, doing that while having the historical society make sure that we didn't damage anything because there's all existing walls and structures. And we had to get sensor wires or go wireless in spots where it was, you know, stuff built obviously a long time ago. So doing that was quite complex and quite challenging. Mm. And that's 2003? Yes. Awesome. That would be uh, one of the projects you're most proud of? Yes, that most definitely. Yeah. And what was, what was the, um, what did you actually do there at that building? I'm, I'm sorry? What, what did you, um, what were you doing in that building? So that project was based on geothermal. Uh -huh. So it was geothermal water source heat pumps, which in 2003 was, was you know, still kind of new in the New Jersey yeah. marketplace. Um, 
and it was difficult because where we had to drill was very rocky, um, uh, rocky ground that we had to dig through. So we had to, you know, dig some very, very deep wells. And the duct work that we had to tie into, a lot of it was uninsulated. So we had to put in dew point sensors all over to make sure we cooled the house down slowly so nothing condensed in mm -hmm. walls where there was no way where the historical society ever would have let us open up a wall and insulate anything. Wow. Yeah, sure. so, so doing all that with the complexity of what we had to do and maintain high level of energy efficiency, yeah. even back in 03, was, was quite complicated. So what's the, is it, is it quite humid in that area or is it a more of a dry environment? Oh, New Jersey, I mean, today was probably 90, 90 degrees, but probably 95%. Oh, right. So, you know, there's the dry heat and then there's the East Coast heat. Yeah. Yeah, Quite right. different. Yeah, cool. Imagine, imagine that a project like that would um, uh, lend itself to a lot of pre-planning. It did. And, you know, all the projects, the more you plan it, the better it goes. But here yeah. we had fire, you know, God forbid we had a oops with a torch. You know, it was before the days of ProPress or Zoom fitting. Yeah. So we had a, quite an extensive fire watch procedure. Because the last yeah. thing we wanted to be known for is the contribution <laughs> of Pentagon Thomas Edison's house. Yeah. That, would not, that no. would not be good for us. No, definitely not. Would no longer be a benchmark, would it? <laughs> it would not be. <laughs> but after a joint was uh, welded or soldered, I think somebody stood there for about an hour just in case. Mm. Yep. With a fire extinguisher. Yes. <laughs> Marty, um, just a question for you. If you could cast your mind back to 1968, uh, when you carried out your first job, being the installation of a, a single humidifier, could you ever have imagined that the business would have grown to this scale and, and so quickly? Absolutely not. And you know, where it was gonna grow to and how it was gonna grow <coughs> were just not primary in my mind at that time. It was what I was going to do tomorrow and how I was going to get things going. And uh, uh, never, ever did I envision this or even think it was possible. Or the, the seed of getting to this point didn't even exist. So um, the answer is uh, no idea at all. No. And all growth was based on the necessity of what had to happen the next day. Yeah. And, and David, um, was your... Um what was your sort of ambition as a child, you know, growing up in, in that environment? Were you sort of, did you ever see it? Would you have aspirations of being a fireman or something like this? Or was it always going to work with that? You know what? I, I was the traditional owner's son. I was there high school summers, college summers. But it was never really a mindset of being in the business. And then, you know, as the college career ended, it was, um, hey, dad, you know, you got a room. I'll, I'll be happy to be on board full time. Um, so it really wasn't the journey, although I grew up in it and I did it and I enjoyed it every day. I loved being, you know, I was a service technician. I was a parts runner. I was hanging sheet metal. So I did all of that stuff. So got a real good grasp of the entire trade. Um, but did I think that I, you know, when I was young, you know, every kid says I want to be in the family business, but it was, didn't set out with that mindset as I grew up and I got it, you know, my own, my own college education. Mm. My <laughs> comment on that is, I was when David came to me and said this is what he wanted to do. <laughs> I was completely shocked. Uh, David may not want to tell you on the record is uh, uh, he went to college near a ski town and near a big ski area, and one day years later, 
when I was skiing with him, I said, how, how did you get that good? And he said, I used to ski 50 days a year, but that's while he was in college. So the <laughs> industry. Wow. And, and fast forwarding to 1999, David, when you were appointed president of the company, was that something that you had aspired to be from an early position or was it um, something that um, just organic? You know, at that point I was in the, I was in the business seven years. Uh, the business had its turmoils in the nineties. Um, I really was thrown into things just due to life circumstances that, like I said before, I really didn't have any business doing. Um, got a lot of trial by fire, a lot of fast education. And it's funny because, you know, all those things that you learn about in college, um, in accounting, you realize very quickly what it means and what it doesn't mean. So the College of Hard Knocks that way came very quickly to me. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, by the time I was, you know, into that role was really had a lot, a lot, a lot of years of wisdom thrown at me again because of what had, what had occurred in the business. Out of all of the um, awards that uh, NCON has received, which ones would make you more, uh, which one makes you most proud? So several years ago, we, we do a lot in the building automation world. And we had an opportunity to partner with both Intel and Dell on a large private school in our community. We already had a lot of building automation in it, but we really worked to make the building more of a learning laboratory environment for the students. Um, so that was really interesting, really embedding technology, working with the folks from Intel and Dell. Um, it was really when the words, uh, the buzzwords of IoT was coming out. No one, it wasn't market ready back then. And we sat in meetings where people said, anything's possible, what could you connect? So it was really a, an interesting journey. We're still working in the campus today. You're still, in part, to still with those guys, Intel and Dell? We are. Yeah. We are, and, and, and again, the, the private school that we're in, every year they have more capital. We have more opportunities to connect things. Um, when we had rolled out a big part of it last year, we, we sat through a presentation where the physics teacher actually took their students and used live building automation information to do statistics and probability studies. Um, and my concern is I'm sitting in the back of the classroom listening, saying all these students are going to come up with reasons why they can't perform well because the temperature or humidity in the building isn't what they think it should be. Mm -hmm. And the unintended consequences of saying, hey, you, you know your noise meter out there? It was too noisy while I took my final. That's why I got a B plus amount of A. Yeah. So we, and we put that all real time in, in the hands of the students where they can look at it and see it and pull everything up on the analytics side and quite impressive how it came together. Um, I'm interested to also know, just digressing a little bit of um, philanthropy obviously plays a huge part in your business um, and it's a very noble, um, Part of your business. Uh, I just wonder if you could share some of the, um, the standout moments for you guys in terms of the charity work you've done. You know, I think we, we've always been very giving to our community and our customer base, especially when there's a need, whether it's to our, our team or our, our customers. We've had a few spotlight or breakthrough relationships that we've really developed over the, over the last dozen years or so. Um, one of which was we had an, we, we in New Jersey have the only, uh, we're very connected to Make-A-Wish, 
and Make-A-Wish with all its chapters um, was building a castle, very much Disney-like. And we were very fortunate at the time to have gotten involved with building of the castle. And as we learned more about the organization, really got very passionately involved with it. Um, and you know, being able to see a child that really has medical turmoil and having children that, again, knock on wood, have never needed to be a wish child. Um, it's become a big cause of things that we're passionate about. But we do it with a lot of them. There's a lot of organizations that we're passionate about. Um, you know, in our local community, we feel as good corporate citizens to give back where we can. Is Make-A-Wish a, a, a known quantity in Australia? Yes, yeah. very yeah. much so. Yeah, yep. Yeah, they do fantastic work. And uh, yeah, when I saw that David was, um, I think, chairman for Make-A-Wish New Jersey, is that right? Yes, I'm the current chairman of the board for yeah. Make-A-Wish New Jersey. And, and it's, a, it's a big honor. It's a big responsibility. But, you know, we, you know there's all, a lot of great causes out there. We, we partner with a lot of them. This one has just been one that really uh, works for us to be one of our, our, our premier ones. Yeah, and I'm sure that giving, um, giving so generously, generously to those uh, causes, you'll you, you see the great rewards from that. Mm. Yeah. We do, and we try, we try to engage our, you know, our team and our partner vendors. You know, I, th I think it's just been a good corporate citizen, especially in today's world. Yeah. You know, there's so much sure. bad out there, and you know, we've recently been very involved with our local food bank. And, you know, you talk about a, a organization that's more important than ever. You know, a lot yeah. of their, their, their distribution channels was through the school system. And when that was shut down again overnight, it was how do you, how do you feed everyone that needs it and relies on it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, there, there's so much we could talk about here today. We are running out of time. I'm, I'm grateful for you guys for, for sitting with us. But... Marty, if I could just um, ask you a, a question. If you were to send yourself a message back to 1968 when all this chaos began, um, what would you have told yourself? When I, I think I was under the really mistaken um, um, idea, if you will, that if you knew your business technically, your business would grow, be sound, and be profitable. And um, that was my guiding light. Know what you're doing, do it right, do it well, and the rest will follow. And um, what, what, I've, what I've learned the hard way is that is just not the way the world works. You, you really have to have a focus. You have to have the right financial management. You have to have the right feedback systems, the right computer systems, and the right marketing. And uh, without all that in place, you can be the best technical guy in the world. And you, see, you can go around in a circle or worse yet, you're gonna uh, uh, dig a hole that you'll bury yourself in. Yeah. So, that was my biggest lesson, and uh, I wish I learned it many years before I did. Yeah. So all he, all he needed to all he needed to do was read the book called E Myth back then, anywhere. That's right. <laughs> We're just reading that now. <laughs> <laughs> I've read it for the third time this week. <laughs> Uh, we've read it a couple of times. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, just finally, um, unless you've got anything else you wanted to add. No, no. Just finally, guys, if I could just ask you, what excites you about the industry of looking ahead? Um, I think it's going to change drastically. I think indoor quality is going to become a, a, a main focus of what's going on. I think we, people are going to become more focused of HVAC than they've ever been before. 
and understand that an indoor en environment is really that. It's an environment, and it is uh, very different than being outside. And people are going to have more respect for it and just understand how important it really is. Um, yeah. Some of the systems you see, and I don't know about uh, where you are, but some of the systems we see installed in small buildings are atrocious. They have no outside air in them, and they have no humidity control. And people just don't even think about it. And I think those days are going to come to an end. And those who know how to put in the quality kind of stuff uh, and advise their customers on, on what's really needed to keep them not just warm or, or cold, but, but uh, uh, ha have a level of uh, environmental comfort is going to really drive the world. Mm -hmm. and, and I would I would just further that for a moment on the complexity of the world of integration, you know, the, the IoT, we're all seeing that there's temperature, you know, body scanners that, that they're all trying to figure out. Well, if you could do that with card access and temperature control in a building and the HR side of your business all under one enterprise software solution, we're already connected to a lot of that in your building yeah. from the networking. And all we've got to do is create one other data point and say, okay, Mrs. Jones showed up, she's healthy, she's gonna to go to this environment, let's gonna do this and, and they're good for the day. Yeah. Or Mr. Smith can't come in the building or what does that look like and how do we do that and keep the world safe under the current circumstances, right? Mm. I think that's gonna be a big thing going forward, isn't it? Definitely. Tremendous. The, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's um, brilliant, and and so much. Like I said, we could talk all day, and and perhaps we'd like to have you guys maybe, back on again. Maybe is there anything that you guys would like to say just um, before we finish up? Yeah. You know, like thing, thank you very much, and one day we'd look forward to coming and visit you guys. Yeah, for sure. So, so my my father stole the words out of my mouth. I must have trained them well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to jump into the next segment now, guys. So, um, uh, Brad, is it time? It is. It's that time. Okay. Keeping it cool in the hot seat. All right, so here we are, uh, keeping a call in the hot seat, guys, and uh, we have uh, Marty and David Inversky uh, from, uh, sorry, Inversky from Encon, uh, and we're going to jump into keeping the call in the hot seat, Brad. Yeah. So uh, if you're ready to hit the hit the clock, I will hit the button, and the time starts now. All right, and we're away. If you were to Marty, I'll start with you. If you were to write an autobiography, what would it be titled? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, I, that that's a tough one. My uh, Love by Marty. How's that? Right. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I would have to say the times in life of Marty. <laughs> Sounds good. I'd buy that. Uh, David, if you could be a superhero, who would you be? I'd be Superman. Yeah, that was easy. Okay. Uh, Marty. Go on. Go ahead. I was going to say my my autobiography title would be "What Not to Do." What not to do? Yeah. What not to do? Good advice. Yeah. Um, Marty, if a song if a song described your work ethic, what song would that be? A song that would describe my work ethic. Um, I don't know if it's written yet, but uh, um, <laughs> working working class man. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd have to pass. I can't think of a song that would describe it. All good, David. Uh, song? No, I, I don't know. My, my first, my first one would probably be "Don't Don't Stop Believing." Oh, <laughs> um, if you were a brand, Marty, what would your motto be? What I, what my motto would be if I was a brand? Uh-huh. Uh huh. We deliver the best and the uh, most reliable, and we care the most. Lovely. David? Oh, I don't want to be cliche, but I would take Michael Jordan's of just do it and take a combination of that. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with that tick on your uh, sleeve there? Sleeve there? <laughs> 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 yep. Brand awareness. Um, if, you could, if you could sit with one celebrity, Marty, or famous person for a chat, who would that be? Uh, alive, dead, uh, what are the ground rules? No, no rules. No, no rules. I think I take Abraham Lincoln. Nice. Okay. Yep. David. I would do Albert Einstein. Awesome. Um, when you go on vacation, what's the first thing you pack, Marty? Um, my skis, hopefully. <laughs> nice. David. My ski boots. They're more important than my skis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if, if Hollywood made a movie about your life, Marty, who would you want to play the lead role as yourself? Oh, I don't know. That's uh, Al, maybe Al Pacino. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. David, what about yourself? Yeah. Uh, probably Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise? <laughs> I'm thinking Bruce Willis. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I would do Bruce Willis. That would work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you could choose one meal, Marty, for the rest of your life, what would that be, please? One vehicle? One meal. One meal? Yeah. Oh, it would have to be, uh, uh, it would have to be uh, uh, eggplant, palm, and a whole lot of Italian red sauce and spaghetti. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> I'm hungry. It's still early. Um, and David, yourself? Oh, I don't know if it would just be a good greasy cheeseburger, probably. Um, Marty, you're, if you could describe yourself in three words, please, what would that be? Mm. <laughs> three words? I don't know if I, I don't know if I could say them on air. Um, <laughs> you can say them. I, I, I try harder. I think those would be my three words. <laughs> uh, loyal, dedicated, and caring. Oh, very nice. Um, Marty, have you ever had a sick day when you weren't really sick? Probably that's never. Be to tell I was going to say, it's not called being dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always had a very, I, I, don't I don't know the last sick day I've taken. Yeah. Beautiful. And David? My boss is on the phone. I can't do <laughs> <Yeah>, it. <that's laughs> okay. Uh, one of the last questions. If, if a taxi, uh, sorry, if a taxi and a limo were priced the same and sitting in front of you, which one would you get into? I'd probably get in a taxi. Yeah? Yeah. David? Yeah, Am I alone or with someone? They're good guys. Either. Either or. <laughs> it depends who I'm with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good call. And, and finally, guys, um, Marty, I'll uh, start with you. Your porn star name, please. <laughs> um, I'll pass. Pass the vote, David. Oh, I don't know. Um, long and deep. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that just blew me away. Yeah. Oh, very good. Oh, there's the buzzer, guys. And look, uh, you got through those. And they were, they were fresh new questions. So uh, forgive me for fumbling, but uh, we've been sticking the same questions for a bit. So you were the guinea pigs. I think we forgot one. <laughs> it's, uh... um, it's, uh, what are we like as interviewers? Oh, yes. <laughs> you could ask that. What are we like as interviewers? <laughs> Yeah, David. <laughs> Why? Well, what was the question? What do you lack as interviewers? Or well, lack or like? Like either way. What do, I, 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 what do I like? I like the fact that it was an easy flow and that it was um, very uh, casual and, and easy to communicate with. Yeah, good. That's good. I, so I think you guys were good. You were relaxed. And uh, it made it easy for us because you really know the business we're in. Uh, yeah. But you you do a hell of a comedy act. You want to be a <laughs> Oh, very nice. Uh, oh, look, um, well, we're going to wrap it up here. And yes, I think uh, we, we can't thank you guys enough for coming on today. Thank you so much. Thank you to you, Marty. Thank you to you, uh, David. And thanks to Lauren for sorting it out for yeah. us. We're Absolutely. really, really grateful. And uh, we'd love to do it again in the future. Anytime. Awesome. And uh, we might come, uh, come and visit you guys one day. We'll, we'll, Please we'll do. do. We'll do that reciprocally. There, yeah, that'd be great. Nice. That'd be great. We'll come here, yeah. we'll go there. How's that? Awesome. We've got, we got a man cave you can sleep in. It's, it's all um, good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> this is for you guys too. Yeah, awesome. no worries. All right, guys. Well, thanks uh, for listening again to the uh, Air Conditioning Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, and we'd, we'd love you to do that, jump on to airconditioningpodcast.com. Uh, we're on all the social pages, Brad, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, YouTube. Yeah. We're all there. So... Please get in touch with us and uh, we'd love you to come on and share your insights on the industry too. Subscribe and if you could leave a review, that'd be great. Reviews are good because they help us get found. Yeah. So uh, they can, cannot underestimate the power of a review. Yeah. So um, with that said, Brad. Okay, good night, y'all. <laughs> good night, guys. See you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. guys. That's all for this episode of the Air Conditioning Podcast. Be sure to stop by at airconditioningpodcast.com to connect with us, as well as on Facebook and Twitter, and join in the conversation. Until next time, stay tuned, stay positive, and stay cool.